Thank you, Logan. I don't know how you did it, but you sang all my favorite songs. And it's fun to have a young person up uh, leading singing with so many of us in the audience. Uh, some who know those hymns uh, well enough, they can close their eyes and sing them from memory. It's a, it's a blessing uh, to be with you on a Sunday evening. So many churches have given up on Sunday, meetings, Sunday evening meetings because they feel uh, that not enough people will come out. But here is an assembly uh, who has kept its... Uh, Sunday evening meeting and uh, still thrives with, it's not the pizza, is it? You're actually here to study the Lord and sing praises to him, right? It's, it's not the pizza. Uh, no, there's the, the, the joy of gathering together with believers and studying the word. There's no place I would rather be than when folks uh, who want to study the word. My question for us to meditate uh, tonight is it worth working with young people who show potential but are not completely reliable? I'll repeat the meditation again. Is it worth working with young people who show potential but are not yet completely reliable? Why do we work with young people at all? Many of us might think, uh, I grew up on my own, no one helped me, can't they just grow up on their own, can't they make their own way, why would they need my attention, why would I help them? Well, from my own personal experience as a teenager, I was headed in the wrong direction, but thankfully in junior high and high school over those six years, uh, my local church in Upland near here though they had four different youth directors during those six years, because on average you can keep a youth director only a couple of years, each one of those four saw just a glimmer of hope that this person could possibly be of some use to the Lord if we get a hold of him. And increasingly so, through those years, they got a greater and greater grip upon me and was able to redirect me uh, to the point where I didn't even recognize myself. I was studying the Bible and reading critical commentaries as a high schooler, and my parents would call up the stairs and say, it's Thursday night, we're watching the Waltons, won't you please come down and watch this show with us? It's a good family show. And I'd yell down the stairs, I'm reading my Bible. And I, you just think like, that's not a normal high schooler, and it wasn't. I, I didn't even recognize myself. It's imperative, in my opinion, that we work with young people because we're going to grow old and we're going to die, and they're going to be clueless and unprepared unless we groom them by passing on to them the wisdom that was passed on to us. If you look momentarily in 1 Peter, then we'll go over to the book of Acts. But in 1 Peter chapter 5, in Peter's exhortation uh, to the elders, uh, he is saying, we have to prove to be examples to the flock. Uh, we have to show people how to do this. Uh, we don't just command it done. We just don't do it ourselves. We become examples as to how to do it. So you'll come with me. We'll do this together. Then 
as you're watching me, there'll come a point in which I'll watch you and I'll, I'll critique you and I'll then <clears throat> let you do it on your own. We have to be the kinds of leaders that are looking for people into whom we can pour our lives. Uh, look at the comments regarding the young men uh, immediately following uh, his exhortation in 1 Peter 5, 3, uh, for those who lead to be examples to the flock. Verse 5 says, You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves. Isn't that interesting? The main exhortation to the leadership is, Lead by example, meaning that you're actually showing someone how to do this. To the young man it is, be patient. Be patient. God will push you forward at the right time. Don't jump the gun. Uh, listen to how he says, God's opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you at the proper time. And if this is bugging you, verse 7, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. I've worked with young people all my life. And I've traveled all over the country and even internationally. And I know assembly after assembly after assembly where the young people have the anxiety described in verse 7 because they wish they could do more. And yet there's no one helping them to do more. They want to be a part, and they need the helping hand, and they do show potential. <clears throat> but just like I was, many young people are not yet reliable, and hence it's difficult to pass much responsibility on to them because they may fail in carrying on that responsibility. So what are we to do? Well, if you watch in the book of Acts, and I'd invite you to turn over to Acts chapter 12, please, uh, you will notice that the apostles regularly picked out young people to work with. And as they went about with their work, they brought the young people with them. And those young people assisted them in that work. Uh, you'll notice as uh, you watch Paul plant churches that he will leave behind the young men uh, to help continue to disciple brand new Christians in their faith. What's interesting is these young men are often younger than the men who've been led to the Lord, and yet these men are so new in the Lord, they're looking to the young men for leadership. And so Paul will have to say to a Timothy, for example, you're going to have to be an example a very good example of how to live the Christian life. Otherwise, people will look down on you because you're younger than they are. And so make sure you live very circumspectly and make sure you're admirable in the way in which you go about this. And as I was mentioning this morning, the problem with young people is they have these flashes of brilliance in which you say like, you have so much potential. And then 
They fail us and are unreliable and do not come through and we're completely disappointed. And we say, like, have I wasted my time with you? What is wrong here? And what I want to show you in the example of one young man is let's not give up in discipling young men and young women. It is worth it. It is biblical. It is commanded. And we see it in the example of the apostles. And all of us who are mature in Christ should be looking for someone either younger in age or younger in the faith that we could work with and come alongside and give advice to and encourage and push out there in front and allow them to help us know what we are capable of doing. The story I want to share with you tonight is the story of John Mark, a man that we would probably read right past unless we used a method of gathering together the verses that talk about him in Scripture and developing the story of his life so that we come to understand. Here is a young man that could have easily been set aside, but one who turned out to be one of the most important people in the New Testament, though we hardly know who John Mark is. Our first hint is when we read in Acts chapter 12 of... James being put to death with a sword, and then they moving to Peter to put him to death as well. He's imprisoned, and a prayer meeting is taking place busily in an important person's house. Uh, Their prayers are heard. Their prayers are answered. Peter is released from prison miraculously, knows exactly the house to go to, runs to that house, is pounding on the gate, let me in, let me in, and they can't believe it's really him because they don't believe God answers prayer so quickly. Acts 12, 12, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. This is in the southwest sector of Jerusalem, where they had two-story houses. She was wealthy. She had a large house. Her upstairs could fit 120 people in one room. Few of us have a bonus room like that. Unless you work with young people, then you've crammed 120 people into your house before. But a room with 120, that is some room. And this is where John Mark grew up. And we read in the next chapter, in Acts uh, chapter 13, verse 13, that he uh, was invited to join in the first missionary journey uh, as they were planning, Paul and Barnabas, uh, to go into uh, what was then called Asia, what we would call modern-day Turkey. Uh, Barnabas knew of John Mark. In fact, uh, they were cousins and suggested, here's a young man with potential. Let's bring him along. But you'll read in Acts 13.13 the tripwire that causes the whole problem. It says, Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. At this point in the story, 
we don't know why he left. We don't know if his mother was deathly ill and he had to run home to help her. We don't know uh, what the situation is. But later on in chapter 15, we come to understand that from Paul's perspective, John Mark bailed. John Mark would not go forward with the work. John Mark ran home. And consequently, Paul feels, when he's about to take a second missionary journey, we've already tested this young man, and he has not proven reliable, and he's not ready to go on the second journey. If you have worked with young people at all, you realize uh, there are times in which you're extremely happy with them, there are times in which you are sadly disappointed in them. And you're sorely tempted to write people off and say, I don't think I will ever work with this person again. However, we may be wrong in that. And I would like to say in the life of John Mark, we find an example of one who may have acted like a flake, but is not actually a flake and is well worth our effort. Acts chapter 15, verse 36, please. Acts 15, 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of God and see how they are. This is the plan of the second missionary journey. Then go back and visit the same churches and strengthen them. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with him also. But Paul kept insisting, and you can tell just from the way that verb is functioning, that this discussion was more than a brief one. This discussion was repetitive. Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. The word that Paul uses there, deserted them, is a strong word. It's almost like going AWOL in the military. Times do get tough, and sometimes it's just too much, and a person says, I'm not sure I can handle this. And, and sometimes we say, that's fine. You, you can go. You don't need to stay. Uh, we'll carry on the work without you. The question is, should they take John Mark on the second missionary journey? Certainly, surely he had uh, potential. Uh, will he live up to their expectations? This is not a doctrinal issue. This is a practical matter. And the question is, who should be a member of a pioneer, cross-cultural, evangelism, and church-planting team. That's not everybody. Those are high-quality, reliable people. A pioneer, cross-cultural, evangelism, church-planting team, you need the best people, but you do need young people. You need to give them the experience that they need in order to carry on this work. Paul is substantially older than a Titus or a Timothy or a John Mark. These people are going to outlive him. He needs people to carry on the work that he's doing. Would John Mark fit this bill? The disagreement is described as a sharp disagreement. Uh, there is an argument that's going on. They cannot come to an agreement. It says in verse 39, and there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. 
And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. They did not come to an agreement. And you say, this is impossible. These are some of the best leaders in the Christian church. These people are filled with the Spirit. God has worked mightily through both Paul and Barnabas. If they would only lean upon the Spirit's guidance, the Spirit would surely tell them the right answer in which way to go. I don't know if you've ever had a disagreement with a brother where you ran into a situation in which you just said, you know, we're not going to come to agreement in this issue. I am convinced, in my opinion, and you are convinced in your opinion. Now what are we going to do? And in my opinion, what's interesting about this, and it's even recorded by Luke for us to read a couple thousand years later, is God is teaching us a lesson about where we go from here when we have a sharp disagreement and can't go from here together. So what will we do when we can't go on the same missionary team? Will everything fall apart? Will the Lord be defeated? Will there not be a missionary team? Folks, God is sovereign, and he works through these situations. And instead of no missionary team, there are two missionary teams. Paul goes out with Silas, which works very well. Barnabas goes out with John Mark, and they go to Cyprus, where Barnabas is from, which will be easy. Two missionary teams are formed, and the work of the Lord proceeds. And you say, okay, the work of the Lord proceeds, but will they ever get along together again? Or will each of them say, that's it, I am done with you, I will never work with you again? See, this is where human nature really does get in the way of the Holy Spirit ministering to us. In this case, neither Paul nor Barnabas, led by the Spirit, could come to an agreement between them, which was not doctrinal, just purely practical, because they saw the situation from two different perspectives. Remember, this is a pioneer cross-cultural evangelism church planting team, and from Paul's interest, he's putting the work first. From Barnabas's interest, he's putting the person first. This antinomy between is it the person or the work that's more important can be debated for the rest of history, and we're not always going to see eye to eye because it depends on the situation. And in this case, I think by the sovereignty of the Spirit, he led each of them, though it was hurtful at the time to have to separate, to come to the belief that, no, I believe God is leading me on this team, and no, I believe God is leading me on this team. And they went on and served the Lord anyway. This is, in my opinion, what the Spirit allowed through the work of these men that we respect to say is the right decision. There is no actual defect in John Mark's character, in my opinion. 
Is there a limitation in his skill set? Is he short on experience? Those things might be quite likely. What was it that caused him to not want to go ashore in Galatia? Well, first of all, it wasn't on the original itinerary. Paul thought up this at the time. He wanted to cross the mountains through southern Galatia and go deeper into the continent. John Mark, to my best educated guess, felt that was way too dangerous of a mission and did not want to risk his life to do that. Was it risky? Yes. Paul fell so deathly ill that when he wrote to the Galatians later, he said, I am surprised you even accepted me. I was hideous with my illness when I arrived. You were so kind to nurse me back to health. You helped me gain my strength, and I helped you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It was a very difficult part of the missionary journey. Perhaps John Mark was just not ready, and the Lord gave him an impulse to head back home and realized he would be saved for a later day in which the son of encouragement, the Barnabas who had vouched for Paul's genuine conversion and actually had taken him around and introduced him to people and say, I know he used to arrest us and imprison us. He's not like that anymore. He's new in Christ. Trust him. He is genuinely saved. That same Barnabas took John Mark under his wing, led him to a mission that was more well-suited for his level of experience, and he flourished. What we find in this is not a tragedy because of the sharp disagreement, but actually the work of God in achieving a dual mission and the continued development of a young man who shows potential. Now, a huge question uh, would be to ask, uh, will Paul write off John Mark forever? Will he say, trusted him once, found him unreliable, I'll never trust him again? Well, we read in 1 Corinthians 9, 6 that Paul continued to work with Barnabas. Their disagreement did not stop them from working together. And we read in a number of passages in Paul's letters of his growing appreciation for John Mark. When he wrote to Philemon, who apparently was one of the leaders of the Colossian assembly, he says in Philemon verse 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. Now John Mark is listed among the top-tier fellow workers of Paul as he's listing off those that they should pray for. Writing to the Colossian church directly in chapter 4, verse 10, he says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas's cousin Mark, about whom you've received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. So not only is Paul listing him among those closest workers, he's saying, I may well send John Mark to Colossae to be of help to you. When he arrives, know that I've sent him. I want you to welcome him into your midst. And then finally, in the, letter, the last letter that Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, 
This time, uh, he is in the dungeon and is discouraged. He writes, only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me in service. So the young man where he said he is not coming on the second mission journey is now so useful that Paul says, I need John Mark. Send him to me. And it causes me to say, brothers and sisters, we have all kinds of young people that need our help in developing their experience and their skill sets in serving the Lord. We must help them. But we're going to at times see unreliability and disappointment. And yet God can work through individuals to develop them if we will continue to be patient with them. And if we remember what we were like as young people, we may well say many people could have said that about me as well. When I was president of Emmaus, uh, I was invited to speak at a conference on the other side of the state of Iowa. And so uh, since it was a larger conference that would have a lot of young people there, I filled a 15-passenger van with college students and drove them across the state of Iowa. They would work with the young people, and I would be speaking to the adults. Throughout that journey, the college students in the van uh, were getting bored just sitting there and uh, began to become fairly rambunctious. Uh, I had five children of my own. I know what it's like to drive a van full of kids who are getting tired of sitting still. And it got to the point where the people in the van were becoming ping pong balls uh, bouncing around inside of the van. There was one particular young man who was outside of his seatbelt. And if you know what those 15-passenger vans are like, they have part of the engine coming through the dash that separates the driver's seat from the passenger seat, so there's quite a space in between. For some reason, I'm driving down a four-lane highway at high speed. He is upside down with his face facing up towards the roof in between the two front seats. So my hands are on the steering wheel here, and his face is right here as he's bouncing around in the van. My patience was wearing thin. We stopped for gas, and all the other young people got out and immediately went into a facility to use the facilities, and he stayed in the van. When everybody came back and we were getting ready to leave, at that particular moment, he decided he needed to use the facilities, so out of the van he goes. And I was thinking, like, this person is going to drive me crazy. So to try to subtly show him my disappointment in him, I moved the van so that when he came back, it wasn't going to be there. I was just on the other side of the gas station. He thought it was the funniest thing, and he thought it was actually an expression of my affection. And he took it uh, to mean like, oh, you view me quite special. Ha, ha, ha. I think this is so wonderful. I said to myself, I will never work with this young man again. He is worthless. My friends, he was a John Mark. He was a person who I wrongly identified as not having the level of potential of continuing to work. He went on to marry one of the best young ladies in all of the South. He has gone on to have three children. He is very active in ministry, and he himself is now teaching and discipling young people. 
He is a wonderful and admirable husband and father and leader. And he is the one, while he was upside down in the van, that I said, nope, never going to work with that guy again. It shows us that we ourselves have room to learn as to whom God would have us work with. When I was uh, partway through my undergraduate studies uh, at Biola, I had a favorite uh, college professor, and I was a junior now, and I asked, uh, do you need a teaching assistant of some sort? Uh, do you need somebody to help you with clerical work? Do you need anybody to like grade papers for you or something? And he was kind enough to take me under his wing. And so as he was discipling me in college teaching, there came a point in which he needed to travel, and he wanted me to take his place in class. And I was still an undergraduate. It was a freshman class, but I was a senior now. And he said, here are my notes. Teach my notes for the class. I was shocked. I taught it. He got feedback from the students, and he says, we're going to do this some more. So every time he couldn't go to class, he'd have me teach for him. He'd never actually sat under my teaching. I was just teaching with his notes. So the next one time, he goes, okay, this is a very important book that just came out. I want you to study this book. I want you to put together a presentation on the theology of this book. I want you to teach the class. I'm going to sit in the class. I want to hear you teach. I did that. He's the one that recommended me, that allowed me, after I continued my education further, to get my first actual responsible job in teaching at the seminary. And it, it caused me to say, that prof saw some glimmer of hope in me, some hope that he could possibly be used of the Lord, and he invested himself in me and took risks on me and then allowed me to go forward and to teach. It's the same way with many of us. If each of us would look back on our lives and say, was there a person in my life who saw something in me in which they were willing to work with me, answer my questions, help me along, encourage me along the way, tell me when I'm making mistakes. And he did critique me as far as the way in which I was teaching, and he gave me pointers. He says, you know, these are freshmen you're teaching. You, you have to teach them this way and not that way. Remember, they're freshmen. And it was helpful to me to know how best to go about that work. But the story of John Mark is not yet over. Where did he go after he had worked with Paul? Peter laid hold of him. Peter wanted to disciple him. And Peter poured his life into him. When it came time for a gospel to be written from Peter's perspective as to his experience in walking with Christ for three years. He told his story to John Mark, and John wrote it down. And the second book of the New Testament that you call Mark was Peter's account through the voice of John Mark, an author of a New Testament book that we value. Isn't it amazing, the forgiving nature of our God? Isn't it amazing the patience that our God has 
isn't it wonderful that the Lord doesn't give up on us? And we shouldn't give up on others also. Have you ever heard of these uh, movie directors uh, who, for some strange reason, want to put themselves in their movie with just a little cameo? Alfred Hitchcock was like that. Almost all of his movies, if you watched carefully, you'd see Alfred Hitchcock walking through one of his scenes. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verses 51 and 52, John Mark put a cameo of himself in this story. It's the story of Jesus' betrayal and arrest by the Roman soldiers. And as you recall, the disciples ran for their lives. This was the time when Peter took out his sword and chopped off not a soldier's ear, but just a servant's ear. And it says in Mark 14, 51, a young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body. Now, linen sheets, a very expensive article of clothing. But remember, we know that his mother is wealthy and owns a very large home in which the church regularly met. They seized him, verse 52, but he pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked. It's absolutely hilarious, that little snippet of the hint of what it was like to be the young John Mark. He was there at Jesus' arrest. But when he was seized, he let them hold on to his garment, but unfortunately <laughs> had to run home. And if you know the map, the, I'll have to turn around this way. The Garden of Gethsemane is way over here. You have to cross the Kidden Valley, go in the East Gate, the East Gate's halfway across the city. You have to cross the entire city to the southwest sector to get all the way home. And you just have to laugh at the picture of this poor young man running for his life, running naked all the way home. And you have to say, you know, that's the story of John Mark. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we come before you and say, what a marvelous, wonderful God you are. You see in us potential that we never would have imagined. And you see in us people whom you would like us to talk to, people with whom you'd like us to work. Oh, Father, rather than letting disagreements among us stop us from our work, rather than letting disappointment among us stop us from our work, I pray by the leading of your spirit that you would show us whom you would have us disciple, and from whom you would have us seek discipleship. And we ask that you would help us grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ so that we could be presented before our Savior as those who are complete in him, mature and pleasing to him. For We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.